0: Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. Eric Dean here of Mile High Sports. Coming to you about an hour, maybe about an hour and a half after the final buzzer sounded for the Avalanches. Six to three loss because of the two empty netters to the Tampa Bay Lightning in Tampa Bay at Amelie Arena where the Avs are 0-2 since game six of the Stanley Cup final a couple of years ago and where the Avs ended their road trip 1-4-1. and As I'm speaking right now, they are on their way back to Denver, finally, and are finally going to get an opportunity to play a home game again on February 18th. And this road trip did something that I expected it to do two and a half weeks ago, or whatever it's been. Actually, it hasn't even been that long. A week and a half ago was the all-star break, so over the last eight to 10 days, this road trip was always going to be for me in my opinion a good gauge on how this team is going this year. And the reason why I say that is because as we know the Avalanche entered, you know, the 6 game road trip without the best record on the road. They are currently 13-13 and 4. So quick maths, mathing in my head, I believe they were 12-9 and 3 entering the trip. 1-4 uh, and 1 on the trip. So yeah, they were 12-9 and 3. They had won 12 of 24 road games. And they won their first six. So they entered the road trip 6 12 and four. Sorry, 6 9 and four over their last handful of road games. And now, since starting the season with a 6 0 record on the road, the Avalanche have won seven games and lost 17 7 13 and four. It's just atrocious, just terrible, bad hockey and they're losing a lot of ground in the division in fact they've lost a lot of ground to both the Dallas stars and the winnipeg jets they have 16 home games remaining on the calendar only 11 on the road which is a good thing to them but this road trip was always going to do something where it was going to give me an idea of well give us an idea but to me personally give me an idea of if this team's got it on the road this year because You look at the standings right now. The Avalanche are 33, 18, and 4. They have 70 points. Pretty good. That's not a bad record to have. But they're 20 and 5 on home ice, 13, 13, and 4 on the road. I would trade that 20 and 5 home record for what the Dallas Stars have, which is 17, 8, and 2. But on the road, they're 17, 6, and 4. Consistency both sides. Even the Winnipeg Jets, they've won more on home ice than they have on the road. But they're 18, 7, and 2 on home ice, 14, 7, and 3 on the road. So still seven games above 500. So when you look at what the Avalanche are doing right now, and just to give you another example, just because Vancouver 18, four and two on home ice 18, eight and four on the road. Uh, coincidentally, Vegas and Edmonton, not as good on the road, just like the avalanche, but not quite as bad as what the abs have. Uh, in fact, the ABS are 13, three and one on the road, the St. Louis blues who are in a wild card position, 10 points back at the ABS with two games in hand, minus five goal differential 13, three and one. So they just got to win one of their next three road games. And they've already got a better road record than the Avs. going back to what I was saying. The avalanche, this road trip was always going to determine for me if they have what it takes to win on the road this year. And I come out of this road trip with a hell of a lot more questions than answers. Um God, I, I really wonder what shutting out the New York Rangers could have done. They were up one nothing until about eight minutes in regulation before the Rangers tied it and wanted an overtime. And I just wonder if they scraped out a one nothing game, maybe score an empty net or win it two to z- two to nothing off that Nathan McKinnon goal coming out of the all star break. I really wonder how different things would have been because it was, I believe the New Jersey game kind of got out of hand. The Carolina game, I want to say, or maybe I'm flipping the two, the Carolina one got out of hand. The New Jersey game was the one where they were down three to one and then tied at three to three. Uh, They could have won that game as well. Very winnable tonight against the Tampa Bay lightning down. I believe, what was it? They scored the first goal. They were down two to one. They scored twice to get a three to two lead. The second of which came in the third period with 1620 remaining. And then a quick breakaway to first damn Cos another goal for Kucherov and, and then a couple of empty netters. Pissed what was a lead in the third period. Um, So I come away with more questions. They had a lot of winnable games. Obviously they win the one in Washington, but I come away with more questions than answers. And I come away with one big question. The entire season before this road trip, I've been saying that the Avalanche are better than they were a year ago. They have a better built roster. You know, obviously defensively, they haven't been as good. Alexander Georgiev's stats are nowhere close. Uh, Even their players, their roster, their skaters have not been uh, as good defensively as a season ago. We're seeing a lot of funky uh Kale McCar turnovers, especially over the last week, just the team defense has not been there this year compared to a year ago. Uh Evan Rowell just tweeted out 21 minutes ago as of the time of this recorded a statistic where he said last year the lowest five on five on ice save percentage for one of their regulars was Samuel Girard. He had a 0.909, so a 90.93 save percentage for the for him when he was on the ice at five on five. This year, the Avalanche have 12 regulars with a lower save percentage than that. So when Sam Gerrard's on the ice and the teams are playing five on five, the goalie on the Avalanche's side last year had a 0.909 save percentage. This year, 12 of their regulars have less than that. It is wild. That is the difference of a year, as Evan put it at the end of his tweet. What a difference a year makes. So I look at that and I say, are they better than last year? Because the podcast that I did coming out of the break, I was on the Gorilla Sports podcast with Jesse Montano and JJ Jerez. And we talked about how there's, you know, moves to be made at the deadline. It was a long podcast. You guys should go look it up on the Gorilla Sports YouTube page. It's from January 30th. A uh, Really great episode. About an hour and a half long. Um, and we talked a lot about how the Avalanche have a lot more depth this year than a year ago. You know, one of the things I said was last year, they had a very clear top six because they had uh, Rodriguez and Comfer and obviously a healthy Nichushkin and Lekanen and Miko and Nate. But their bottom six was where they struggled. Alex Newhook was just a 30-point guy last year. And then it was like Malgin and freaking Eller and Yeddo and, you know, not quite the best lineup. Um, what stuck out this year was... You know, after obviously noticing what they had with Druen and Colton and uh, Wood and obviously Johansson, what stuck out to me this year was their second line, their top six, took a dip, but their bottom six was elevated. Healthy Cogliano playing healthy Cogliano hockey. He's been great. Uh, obviously having Frederick Olofsson instead of Darren Helm in and out of the lineup, uh, being replaced by Ben Myers, who wasn't ready last year, still doesn't seem to be doing it this year for the AVS. Um, Logan O'Connor has elevated his game. Miles Wood and Ross Colton have been miles ahead of where <laughs> no pun intended miles ahead of where they were last year with guys like Newhook and Nieto and, and, and fricking Dennis Malgin and Lars Eller. So they've been a lot better. And then they add Zach Parisi to that, which at the time of that recording on January 30th, we knew Parisi had signed. He hadn't played a game yet. Poor guy. The Avs just looked terrible since he's joined. And, and, and I don't blame him for that. It kind of reminds me of how the Red Wings were red hot. They brought in Patrick Kane. They lost a shitload of hockey games before they finally figured it out and went on a 10-2-2 run here recently. So they have a lot of depth now. And the argument that I made on January 30th was, look, last year, the reality is it wasn't the year to make the big move. In fact, they shouldn't have even made that silly ass Lars Eller trade and gotten rid of a second rounder in 2025, which could be a huge, valuable piece this year. But the reality is they have prospects. They have their first rounder this year and next. They have thirds. They have fourths. They have. They have a lot of assets they can trade. They even have roster players they can trade, be it Sam Girard, my favorite as not my favorite because I'm not trying to lose the guy, but my top choice in what who who will probably get traded off the roster would be Bowen Byram, whether here at the deadline or in the off season, because I think he's expecting his next contract will be a massive one, one the Avalanche can't afford. And with one year remaining on his deal after this season, it would be better for him to get traded now to have an opportunity to play 25 plus minutes next year on his new team to earn that big contract in the summer of 2025, rather than be number three, four, five on the avalanche for another season and then get traded and kind of have to like get paid based off potential rather than being able to do it. So I think he would be the guy to get traded. Obviously, Sam Girard, you have cost certainty there, $5 million for a few more years. But the big thing for me is what I said on January 30th was this team looked better than a year ago and was built better than a year ago to the point where this is the year to make the big moves. And now I wonder if that's the case. I'm not saying they should sit tight at the trade deadline, but this road trip showed me an avalanche team that shouldn't go out and spend a crap load. Alternatively, you get a healthy Val Nachushkin back and y'all have seen me tweet over the last few weeks the difference between when Nachushkin is in the lineup compared to when he's out of the lineup, this is a completely different team in those scenarios and you get the back. It's probably time. And you're about to play a lot of home games. You're 20 and five at home. Like you just lost five of six road games. You've lost five of 25 home games all year. It's wild. They've lost as many games on the road over the last 11 days as they have at home. Every single game since opening night in October against the Chicago Blackhawks. Well, the home opener opening night. So I look at this roster and I wonder how deep the avalanche go into the trade deadline. If you ask me, these are just questions I'm asking coming out of a one, four and one road trip. I'm not by any means saying this team needs to throw in the towel. I think they need to make the moves. However, a month ago three weeks ago, two weeks ago, whatever the hell January 30th was, two and a half weeks ago. My thoughts were that the Avalanche need to make, you know, a trade for a, you know, I I was saying get two centermen or get a centerman and a goalie, you know, trade for trade Bowen Byram for a number two center and elevate Sam Malinsky and then go out and get a Marc-Andre Fleury or Jake Allen or whatever the hell. Um, And just solve those two issues. Now I think this team needs to do a lot more. And I know the trade deadline isn't usually where teams reshape their roster. But here's the deal. The Avalanche did it in 2022. In 2022, the Avalanche acquired a heavy minute munching top four defenseman in Josh Manson. Heavy minute munching relative, obviously, to, you know, guys like Jack Johnson, and Eric Johnson, who were pushed down the lineup. They got a very important piece, a top four defenseman in Josh Manson a top six forward who was on the top line and scored the cup-winning goal in the arena where he scored again today in Arturi Lekkanen, who had a lot of games where he played 20-plus minutes with Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. They also brought in Nico Sturm, depth piece in and out of the lineup. Man, how great would it be to have Nico Sturm now? Um, and they brought in Andrew Cagliano, a key cog, pun intended, a key piece. Of that fourth line with Darren Helm and Logan O'Connor, a key piece of the Stanley Cup run, him and Nico Sturm combining for that goal that bounced in off Cogliano's uh, skate or shin or whatever in Game Four to tie it up to set up the Nazem Kadri heroic winner in overtime with a broken thumb in his first game back. Those were the four pieces they added on a roster and in a year where they had a stretch where they were scoring six and seven goals every other night. Every game in November, go look it up. They put up six against the Sens and seven against Detroit and six against Vancouver and six against Seattle or seven, like I think nine against LA. They were scoring at will. Landis was healthy. Kadri was here and doing his thing. Andre Burakovsky had a career year of 62 points. That team added four guys that were regulars. Three every single game regulars and a Nico Sturm who was in and out of the lineup when needed. They need to do the same thing this year. And it's got to come to the same effect of that value uh, in terms of how valuable a player they need to bring in. They brought in a top six forward in Arturi Lekinen. No questions asked. They got to bring in a top six centerman, a second line centerman. And I'm not talking another Lars Eller fiasco. I'm talking a clear cut, like the low end of the guy they can bring in is got to be an Adam Henrique. I would have said Adam Henrique or Sean Monaghan, like I did on that podcast on January 30th, but like two days after we published it, Sean Monaghan surprisingly was traded to Winnipeg for a first. I know it's going to cost a lot for this team to do the things it needs to do. Number one on the laundry list, they got to bring in a second line center. Well, actually number one on the laundry list, they got to get Val Natushkin back and man, I hope he's doing well, but this team misses him. For all I know, you might be listening to this Friday and Saturday. Best case scenario, we hear that he's back. I mean, Sam Girard, when he came back from the NHL play, uh, PA's uh, assistance program, there was no updates and it's getting closer, getting closer. There were nothing like that. It was just like a thing where we woke up one day and we checked you know, Twitter and we got news from the avalanche that Sam Girard has been cleared to return to game action and he was back. So it could happen literally at, the, at a snap of a finger. You hope to get Val back. But in terms of the trade deadline, this road trip, the question it tells me, the thoughts it gives me, isn't that you throw in the towel and say, this road trip ended their season. This road trip means this team doesn't deserve the moves. It's like the Toronto Maple Leafs in 2019-20 when they lost that game to David Ayers, the Zamboni driver that came in as an emergency goalie. It changed the tune of their deadline to the point where Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan decided, we are not going to make big moves. This team doesn't have it. The Avalanche. What I saw on this road trip doesn't erase what I saw throughout the season, doesn't erase the depth they have, doesn't erase Nathan McKinnon, and Miko Rantanen, Kale McCarr, who have clearly slowed down since the All-Star break, which is fine. They'll get it back. Uh, Jonathan Druin has slowed way down. That's an issue. Um, they'll get it back. I, I genuinely believe it. At least the big three, the three-headed monster. This one forward one trip doesn't say to me they got to throw in the towel and have that David Ayers moment that Toronto had in 2019-20 and say this team doesn't deserve the big moves. This road trip says to me, if you were deciding on making one or two moves, you got to up it to three or four. You got to bring in a second line center, no questions asked. You got to bring in a number two goalie, no questions asked. Those are the absolute, you have to have the moves. Jake Allen, there was a rumor, uh, Matt Murley of uh, Spit and Chicklets, former Av actually at one point, former Penn mostly, uh, tweeted that he's hearing that Jake Allen is being traded to the Avalanche and they got their guy. And um, he wouldn't be my first choice, but he is an option and obviously was shot down by all the insiders. Chris Johnson, Darren Dreger, Pierre Lebrun all uh, checked in on it and found out that it wasn't the case. It wasn't a deal that was happening. But uh, the reason why Jake Allen wouldn't be my first choice, number one, he's coming off a game where he let in seven goals. He's not having a great season. But uh, Jake Allen is locked up for one more year. Even if Montreal eats half of his salary, he'll come in at 1.9 next year, but he's locked in for another year. And I don't want the Avalanche to run into a similar situation as Ryan Johansson, where you are committing to a guy for an extra year before getting a chance to see him play. And when the pickings are slim. In the off season, when you have six or seven or eight backup goalie options that you can look at, a bunch of UFAs, you can make your choice. You know, you can end up, Fortunate like the Vegas Golden Knights and now the Winnipeg Jets again with someone like a Lauren Brossois. You can end up with what Washington ended up when they signed Charlie Lindgren, who's been an exceptional backup to Darcy Kemper the last couple of years. You have time to do that on July 1st. At the trade deadline, there's no reason to bring a goalie that you're locked in for unless you know for sure he's got it. Dan I think he's got another year at 2.2. If you can get some salary retained there, sure. Otherwise, my first choice would be a rental my first choice remains Marc-Andre Fleury. But whether it's Marc-Andre Fleury, whether it's Alex Nadelkovich, uh, Kapo Kakenin, um, these are choices I would take ahead of Jake Allen. But would I be upset if it was Jake Allen? No, because he's an NHL goalie despite the bad season. If the team plays well in front of him, he will give the avalanche good hockey. So no questions asked. You got to bring in a number two center. No questions asked. You got to bring in a, a, a number two goalie. After that, Three weeks ago, I would have said that's enough. Now I'm saying you need more. You need more. You got to do it. You got to work around the edges. Those deals you had a, cu- a couple years ago where you brought in the Sturms, the Coglianos, you got to do that. And I genuinely believe you got to do it one at forward and one at defense, especially depending on what kind of center you bring in. So if you're going to go out and swing for the fences and you know, trade my favorite idea of what I've been doing, granted, He's playing really good right now. I doubt they'll let him go. Joel Eriksson-Eck, that is. Um, My favorite idea is still a Bowen-Byram-Joel-Eriksson-Eck trade where you package Byram with a draft pick, a prospect, whatever it takes. You add another asset to bring in Joel Eriksson-Eck and then throw in an extra asset on top of that to bring in Marc-Andre Fleury as a secondary piece. You solve two in one go Bowen Byram, a big piece going out, maybe a first, a second, some prospects, whatever it takes, you know, not both a first and a second, but like you add a couple of assets to Bowen Byram, some high quality assets, because right now Joel Eriksson is incredible. Uh, nine goals and seven assists in his last 11 games. Joel Eriksson for the Minnesota wild as their number one center. Um, You do a trade like that. You solve both those issues. If that's the deal you end up making, go out and trade for a big, bigger name defenseman. Similar to what you did with Josh Manson. Let it be a rental. You re-sign Josh Manson, and he's been great, especially this year. Last year, injury prone. He's been great, but you don't got to sign the guy you bring in. Trade Bo for a center. Bring in a defenseman. I remember Elliot Friedman a couple of weeks ago mentioned that the avalanche had been checking in on Chris Tanev, you know, not that I'm th- saying they should trade for Chris Tanev, but clearly if they're looking at a defenseman like that, they, there's a reason why. So if that's the kind of guy you're going to bring in, in terms of Eric Eck, and you're going to ship out a Bowen Byram or Sam Gerrard or someone off your roster, you know, in 2022, they shipped off Tyson Jost. Everybody loved him here, but he was a fourth liner. If you're going to ship off a big name off of your blue line to bring in a second line center, you got to replace what that guy was bringing your team, Chris Tanev, whatever. Because if you bring in Sam Malinsky and Malinsky and Jack Johnson are your third pair, that's great. That's fine. Not great, but that's fine. But then Caleb Jones is your number seven. You got no number eight. Your number eight's a Brad hunt that you haven't used all year. So it says to me that the avalanche, if they trade a defenseman, they got to bring in another one, another one of value. If they don't trade a defenseman, I still say, bring in another guy. Let Jack Johnson start as number seven. You know, in 2022, he was the number seven guy. Then Sam Gerard breaks his sternum. Jack Johnson comes in and does an admirable job. And he's done an admirable job this season, but depth wins championships. Depth wins championships and having options. So when you're in the middle of a one, four and one road trip, you can bench whoever this new addition is and put in Jack Johnson or vice versa. You can bench uh, Sam Malinsky and try the other guy or try Jack Johnson. You can have more guys to rotate. Right now, they're not rotating them. They should be rotating more. Bring in another guy to challenge Jack Johnson. And obviously, Sam Malinsky and Caleb Jones are there too. Excuse me. Um, So you got to bring in a depth defenseman like that. At forward, you've already brought in Zach Parise and lost nothing on your roster. So that's a depth winger. You got to bring in a centerman. I'm going to go back to Nico Sturm. Man, how great would it be to have him as your fourth line center? I don't know what the hell you got to do with the salary cap to get Ryan Johansson off this team. One of my favorite trades, the Toronto Maple Leafs, in order to rid themselves of Peter Mrazek a couple years ago uh, when he was a bad contract, they traded him to Chicago with a first rounder for a second rounder. So I think they basically shipped off Mrazek, who's actually been pretty good with Chicago, earned himself an extension. They shipped off Mrazek, and drop 12 spots in the draft to do it with the avalanche. It'll probably take a little bit more than that. You know, last year, the uh, New York Islanders at the deadline or sorry, not at the deadline in the offseason, they traded Josh Bailey to Chicago with a second rounder in order for Chicago to eat $5 million of Josh Bailey's salary and then buy him out. Well, to clear 5 million off the Islanders cap, I should say. So Ryan Johansson, the rest of this season plus next season is roughly $5 million. So that's about what you got to pay a second. The idea that I have, and I know this is kind of crazy to say it out loud, but it's an option. Um, and obviously, if you got to use your first rounder for the other trade, you use it for the other trade, but you have a first rounder next year too. Why don't you trade your first rounder and Ryan Johansson to the San Jose Sharks for their second and Nico Sturman? See if that does it. Because what you're doing, and maybe it can be San Jose's second next year or something. It could be, maybe it could be the one that they own that came from New Jersey in the Timo Meyer trade. So basically what you're doing is in order to go from Ryan Johansson to Nico Sturm without any salary retention on Johansson, you're dropping from, you know, let's say 26, 27, 28, hopefully 32 in the draft to about 48. So you're not trading a first for a second. You're dropped 16 spots, you know. If it were the other way around where San Jose was trading a first for Colorado second, that's a huge deal. Cause San Jose is going to be a top three pick, and Colorado's draft pick is going to be number 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64. It's going to be at the bottom of the second round. But when you're trading a first rounder that's high in the first round for a second rounder that's low in the second round, or even the New Jersey one that's about mid-level in the second round, you're basically trading number 27, 28, 29 for 33, 34, 35, or if it's a New Jersey pick 47, 48, 49, that would be my deal. I would do Johansson and the avalanches first this year for the New Jersey pick, which New Jersey right now is slated to miss the playoffs. It's supposed to be around like 46, 47, that draft pick, um, maybe 48, 49. So drop your first rounder number 27 or 28 overall for number 47 or 48 overall drop 20 spots in the draft and flip Johansson first term. That to me is a good deal. Dropping 20 spots in the draft is worth, you know, you're not dropping from two to 22. You're dropping from low first rounder to mid second rounder to flip Johansson for Sturm. Bring in a centerman like that because this team also lacks center depth. It does. And Frederick Olison's done an admirable job, but you don't want him to be your number four centerman. The reason why I say you don't want him to be your number four centerman is because McKinnon Insert name here, Ross Colton, Frederick Olafson. Those are the only guys that they're going to have playing center, assuming they bring in a number two center and rid themselves of Ryan Johansson somehow. Maybe in the same trade. I don't know, Adam Henrique, whatever the hell it takes. If that's the only move you make, you're a Ross Colton injury away from Frederick Olafson being in your top nine and Ben Myers or Andre Pavel being in your fourth line and unusable. You can't have that. In 2022, Nico Sturm was your fifth center behind Comfort, Kadri, and McKinnon. God, what a trio that was. And behind Darren Helm. And you still had someone like Alex Newhook that can shift to center if needed. They don't have any wingers right now that can shift to center. In fact, they took a guy in Ross Colton, who they acquired as a winger, and shifted him to center full-time. Hell, same thing with Freddie Olofsson. So this team needs center depth. So if you're asking me what this road trip has done, and I know I didn't talk much about the Tampa Bay game. Uh, It was my intention to kind of dig into the game a little bit. But So be it. This is the way we're going to do it instead. What that Tampa game has done for me is, well, what the road trip has done, ending with the Tampa Bay game for me, has done is to say the Avalanche need to bring in four bodies. They got to bring in a number two center. They got to bring in a number two goalie. They got to bring in a depth defenseman or potentially a higher defenseman if they trade one off their roster and a depth forward. So that's it for me today. That's just something to ponder on. I hope we get news Friday, Saturday, even Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, like here in the next week that Val Natushkin is coming back. Like I said, I'm not breaking any news or giving you any insider information. I don't think he's close by any, like, I don't have any reason to believe he's close. I'm not you know, in contact with his family or agent or himself or anything, but like the Sam Girard situation, it could happen at any moment. I'm just hoping it happens sooner rather than later because the team needs him badly, especially with the bright spot that we have right now is Arturi Lekkinen looks pretty damn good. Again, he got two points today against the Tampa Bay Lightning, a Lightning and assist, obviously two and two in his last game, three and three in his last two games. He's got six points out of the nine goals. The Avalanche has scored over the last two games. So shout out to Arturi and You add Val Natushkin to that. You bring in a second line center. You make a couple moves to this team. You get them rejuvenated and going again because they just went one four and one with McKinnon, Ranton, and McCarr struggling to their standard, obviously. McKinnon had two assists against Tampa. Um, but you get those guys going, you bring in some other guys, you get some home cooking here, man. They got they got some games coming at home. The 18th, the 20th, the 24th. I believe the 27th as well. Sandwiched in between is a game in Detroit on the 22nd, which I will be at. Um, the Avalanche haven't lost to Detroit in a very long time. And you you, you got to hope they find a way to win on the road and keep that streak going, but it's not looking great. Um, but yeah, that's what this road trip says to me. It says to me, the Avalanche have more moves to make. So like I said, that's it for me. We will catch up again sometime next week, hopefully before the Red Wings game and then probably again from Detroit. We'll see how it goes. By the time you're listening to this, it's probably Friday, February 16th, three weeks out from the NHL trade deadline. It is getting that much closer. With that, this is obviously Hockey Mountain High, your go to Avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless that pretty little heart of yours. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we outcha.